We are studying in the book of Revelation, the last book of the scriptures. And we can see the hand of God moving through human history in the book of Revelation. This incredible book we hear and we read of the mind of God about the church age. We live in the church age for as long as this time period exists. We live in the church age of the book of Revelation. God has been moving through human history. All of the Bible is evidence that God sees and God moves through human history. Last week we opened the book of Revelation and we read these words from chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart of what is written in it, because the time is near. And so today, as we read in the book of Revelation and in this series, as long as it lasts, we have the opportunity to fulfill Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, and listen and take it to heart. Whatever God says to you, Whatever the Holy Spirit challenges in your heart, in your life, you have, I have, we have an opportunity to take these words to heart and to get from them whatever God wants to say. You've used the phrase, and I have many times before, we've certainly heard it often, you get out of it what you put into it. It's so true about the Bible and the Scriptures, that statement is. You will get from the Scriptures what your heart listens to. And you humble yourself. And you say, God, what does this mean for me? What does He say to us? Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation uh, was Jesus speaking to seven churches. Seven specific cities where the gospel had early taken root. Primarily from the preaching and travels and teaching and shepherding and guiding and leadership from the heart of a man named Paul that God incredibly used with great passion to preach the gospel. They were seven active Churches through the first century. Seven churches that had taken root and gone their own way of growth and influence. Seven churches that existed at least, at least for 50 years, some much longer. About 50 to 65 A.D., all of them had been planted. And now as we open the book of Revelation, we find that it's 30, 40 years later. And so what we read in the book of Revelation is after probably, I'll just say, 35 years of church history there. And for whatever reason, God chose those seven churches to speak 
to the church of every generation. I believe in these seven churches, God speaks to every church that exists in the world. I believe that in these seven churches, I believe that God speaks to every believer, every Christian. Words of encouragement, words of rebuke, words of warning, words of guidance, words of affection, words of prophecy. But you can find God's voice in these two chapters if your heart is listening. If you pretty much have all the answers already and know, they may be interesting, but they won't help you spiritually. But if you say from your heart, God, I have a teachable heart. I believe God can speak to every one of us. Read with me Revelation chapter 1 at verse 12. Or listen to the words. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. I want us as we begin to look at these churches to remember who it is that's speaking. It's not a pastor. It's not a Sunday school teacher. It's not a TV evangelist. It's Jesus. And he speaks with a double-edged sword. I just want to say from the beginning, if you're here to be comfortable, you may be disappointed. We all have an opinion, but Jesus speaks with truth and clarity. And so I say, let's begin this study with a humble heart. Every one of us who can. 
and say, Jesus, speak your truth. Help me to listen with a heart that takes it to heart. These seven churches are in about a 250 mile radius or so. 100 miles from Ephesus to Laodicea and around. About 250 miles would encompass them. We're told here in chapter 1 that Jesus walks among the, the lampstands, the candlesticks. Jesus walks among the candlesticks. His presence is among the candlesticks. It's not that He's so far away that He's not there to see and hear and know and learn. But He is present. This next slide will show a map a little bit of these seven churches. If you, This is modern day Turkey. Asia Minor it was called at a time. And you have these seven churches I don't know that you can see the words from where you're at, but there is the first one that we're going to talk about today. This is Ephesus. Right over here in this area is where the island of Patmos is that John is going to be writing this from. Seven churches. Seven specific locations. The next map is going to show this area relative to kind of the rest of the world, just so you get an idea. Right here are the seven churches. Asia. Turkey today. Over here you have Jerusalem and Judea. The cradle of Christianity. And over here you have Rome. You see about halfway in between is where this story takes place. This area has been noted, it's about halfway between the cradle of Christianity and Rome. Christianity is moving toward Rome at this time. So we think, why these seven churches? Why in 95-96 AD did God choose these churches for the message? There are many factors that are present. For one thing, the influence of the early church leaders. We know that Paul spent much time in this area. Paul spent three years alone in Ephesus. We know that on one of his journeys. And Paul uh, planted these churches. Peter also spent a good deal of time, according to church history in this area too, shepherding, bishoping. We also know that Timothy spent significant time as pastor at one of these churches. And so you have an area that was saturated with early church leadership. These were some of the first and strongest churches of early Christianity. Not the only ones by any means, but some of the earliest and the strongest. This is also the area that John lived out most of his life after he left Jerusalem. John was the bishop or pastor of Ephrata for many, 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 not Ephrata, Ephesus for a long time leading up to his time of being imprisoned on Patmos. 
Another factor about these churches is the crossroads that this area was in the Roman Empire. The roads that went north and west or, or east and across the Mediterranean to Egypt and to that part of the Roman Empire. And then, of course, back west toward Rome. It was a crossroads of culture and language and religion and commerce. This area was very important in many ways. Christianity, we know from the New Testament, quickly rooted there. Some people have described it like this. It wasn't the cradle of Christianity, but it certainly was the early childhood of Christianity. Christianity was moving across the Roman Empire, toward Rome. And this area was an important middle ground for its growth and development of what the church was and what it believed, what its theology would be. John the disciple was given the message. What do we know about John? We know that John is a prisoner on the island of Patmos, which uh, we saw is just off the coast from Ephesus. We know that he was a prisoner during the time of the Roman Emperor Domitian, who was especially in those years, about 15 years, extremely hostile to early Christianity. And many, many, many people were put to death and martyred during his time. John had suffered much, but somehow he had suffered or he had escaped death so far and martyrdom. Unlike the other 11 disciples that by the time Revelation is written, they're all gone. It's believed that John is the only living, remaining, eyewitness, apostle, disciple of Jesus at this time. He was the remaining eyewitness. You think of how important an eyewitness is. He was an old man. Go on to that next slide, would you please? He was an old man by then. He was probably in his 90s. Maybe 80s, but certainly 90s if you remember that he was a disciple with Jesus. And Jesus about 30 to 33 or so A.D. And John was there, could have been a teenager. But by the time John gets here, he is an old man. And God chose him. God chose John to be the one who would bring this message to the church. To the churches. The churches are identified in the book of Revelation as candlesticks. Lamps. And so today as we start this part of the series, I, I want you to think about our church. Mifflinburg as a lamp, as a large candle. Think about the meaning of that. Let's begin with Ephesus, the first of seven, chapter two, verse one. I'm going to read through verse seven. Maybe catch us up to that slide, would you? We're a little bit behind, I believe. Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who stands, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. 
I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, whom I hate also. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. First off, I notice three specific connections Jesus has to the church. Number one, it's described that Jesus is holding the church in His right hand. I think what's significant about the right hand? We're told that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the saints, interceding for the ecclesia, interceding for the church. Somehow in heaven today, Jesus is on the throne with lampstand in His hand. I believe He holds every lampstand. According to this scripture, it reminds us that Jesus somehow has every church in His hand on the throne of heaven. And He's interceding for the church. He is holding the church, it says here. These are the words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand and walks among the candlesticks. The symbolism of the church and individual churches, the candlestick, the lampstands. Jesus is holding them in His hand. And He's also walking among them, it says. He is walking around every church. And He's watching and He's seeing and He's observing. And He's interceding. Don't think that a Sunday goes by in this place that Jesus, His Spirit is not looking at us. Don't think there's a day that there's not a Tuesday that goes by that, that Jesus is not walking among us in every household, in every phone conversation, in every ethical decision at work, every time the television is turned on or a movie is chosen, Jesus is walking among the church. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our struggles. He knows our conflicts. And He's there. Don't think that you live your life outside of the presence of this Spirit in Revelation chapter 2. He is there walking in the churches. And He's holding the churches in His hands. You know, we think of the church as an institution. Kind of people, especially on the outside, you use the word church. You mean, you mean a denomination. You mean a building. You mean this ecclesiastically organized group of people. No. 
No. The church is you and me. That's the church. And we have a living, he says. I was dead, but I'm alive. A living. Presence among the churches. He is walking today. I don't say that to scare you. Not that I'm capable of it. I say that to comfort you. I say that that there's a loving heavenly God who cares so much about the church that He's watching and He's walking and He's holding and He's listening. Every church is known by God. Jesus knows the strength of every church. And all seven of them As you read them, you'll see Jesus commends most of them. It's actually a couple of them that Jesus really doesn't have much good to say about. Most of them he does. He sees their strength. He knows what's been good in the church over its time and its history. He knows what their personality is. He knows what their painful events have been. He knows how they've overcome challenges. He knows how the church got started and how it grew. I'm talking about Ephesus, but I'm really talking about Mifflinburg too, of course. He knows what happened in the 1940s and the passion of a man named Fred Pick. He knows those that were a part of the early church. Who they were and what they believed and what they gave. What they held on to. He said of the church at Ephesus, I know your deeds. Pretty simple, I know your deeds. Deeds. Good works. Efforts. Efforts to grow the kingdom. time and the places of all the ministry that you've done. All the time and planning and sacrifices. Affectionately, I believe Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, I I know your deeds. He also adds that, I know your hard work. 
I know your hard work. Jesus sees when we're doing our best. He sees when we give what we can. I mean, He knows good and bad. He knows people that give and give and give and give. And He sees people that are lazy. There's both. He said to the church at Ephesus, I see your hard work. He also said in verse 2, I see your perseverance. That's a good one. That's a big one. Anybody can quit when things get tough. Anybody can give up. Sometimes we crack. Sometimes we, we can't handle it. Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, I see your perseverance. He says, I also see that you do not tolerate wicked people. I'm not sure exactly what that means. There's another church that he says the same thing of and has a little more information. Another church, he talks about how you, tol- you do not tolerate wickedness. Says that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. That would seem to imply people that come by and say, Hey, I was with Jesus. He gave me authority to teach you. And their teaching was not true. You have found them false. You have persevered. Again, for the second time. That's notable to me in Ephesus. Twice Jesus says of the church at Ephesus, you have persevered. So if you're one of those people that have persevered in your faith, Hear the affirmation of Jesus. What He says to the churches. Perseverance. In all the churches, and some especially that Jesus will talk about, they have endured suffering at this time, during this era, time period of the Roman Emperor Domitian. Many, if not all, of the seven churches had been deeply affected by persecution. Probably, and we know in one place that many had been martyred. Maybe Ephesus too, from what he says here. You have endured hardships for my name. Not only have you suffered and You've had it rough here, but you've done it because of your faith in me.
church? Do we stop here? Is this really where it stops for us? And the voice of God. Does it stop with all the affirmation and the good news? Or do we want something deeper? Far deeper. If you read on, Jesus challenges his church. He says, yet I hold this against you. It's pretty much one thing Jesus says to this church in challenge. You have forsaken your first love. I wrote down seven positive things Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. A lot of great strengths. But they had lost their first love. They had lost the passion. Maybe for the reason they had lost their vision. Or maybe their vision had become confused. Maybe it just gotten dull over time. Other things I believe had become more important to the church than their first love. Maybe it was all these things that produce good. For example, I, one of them, you can't tolerate wicked people. You tested those who claim to be apostles. They were passionate about truth. That's not negative. Jesus said it was positive. 
But Jesus calls the church to consider have we lost our closeness to the living God? Jesus basically uses three words about this as I see. The first one is this, consider. Consider. As you read the seven churches, I think, I think you'll find that some of the things that are in there you'll say, well, I don't think that's my issue. Or, that's definitely true for me. You might say, that's not my temptation in this area. But maybe in this one it is. There's a lot of different things that Jesus says to the seven churches. But He starts when we lose our passion and our love of who Jesus is. So He says, consider this. He uses that word translated in this translation, verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. Consider what it might have been at one point in your life when your faith was more alive and active and strong. Think about that. Go back there. Do you wish it was? Then he used the word repent. Stop. Turn around. Renew. Refire. Repent. Somewhere in the 40 to 50 years the Ephesus church had existed, something had been lost. First love, passion, priorities. From that first group, You might say from that first generation, something had been lost to the next generation. Or that first generation, if you think of it as a generation, maybe they, they had lost it. But whatever happened from the beginning of the church to the time that Jesus gives the message, Something had not been handed off. And the question today for me what about me? What about us here at Mifflinburg? Part of this series is heavy. Part of it is not. What does Jesus say 
to this church and how we're doing. Go to that slide, if you would, of the candle that I asked you to put in. It's toward the end. Turn the lights down, would you? Please. What would cause that to happen? What are the things that could take place among us that that would happen? We start with me, of course. Got to start with me. What could happen inside my spirit? Who I am. Would cause that candle to be extinguished of my faith, my influence. What are the weaknesses inside of me? What are the temptations that, if I'm not careful, not careful cause my faith to be blown away do I think that there's not areas that I'm vulnerable that Satan might try to get me in case you're wondering yes I have areas that I've got to say God help me be strong help me to keep my first love correct me where I need it it's not just that I want to survive to the end spiritually I don't want my candle to go out I don't want the influence of this church lost and it starts with every one of us individually what's God say to me about my candle and my faith in Ephesus about my priorities other places it was other issues who hath ears let him hear what the spirit says to the churches whatever God says to you this morning plead with him to speak to you about your life and who you are and he can give us all a message that will help be the church moving forward that God wants in this place made up of a lot of different people
with different perspectives. God, speak to me today. Would you stand, please? Oh God, I thank you for this incredible chapter, this incredible book, the incredible truth that Jesus is walking among the church today. He holds the candlesticks in his hands. He sees, he's watching, he's hearing, and he wants to speak to us today, God. You know what our strengths and weaknesses are? You know, God, for these believers apparently at Ephesus, their weakness was they had lost their first love. God, if that's where I'm at today, I pray I'd have a humble spirit. Help me to know what you want me to do. You said to repent and do the things that you once did. For some people, that might be priorities. It might be putting you first again when they have, when they have not put you first in their lives. Help us all to know what the Spirit says to the churches, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today.